Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from a fairly mild day in Fort Worth, Texas. We haven't been impacted by the, the terrible storms that are once again on the Gulf of Mexico, so we're thankful for that. And we send our prayers to those who are caught up in those. Um, today, I welcome film director, writer, uh, radio host, and producer Arthur Kanagis to the, our show. Um, he's also the president of something called Future Wave Inc., a nonprofit organization dedicated to shifting our awareness of violence, the culture of violence, and changing that paradigm shift into a culture of peace, which very much fits in with the unity teachings, of course. Um, Arthur is also the director, producer of a film, which we're going to talk about today. It's entitled The World is My Country, about the amazing adventures and achievement of uh, world citizen number one, Gary Davis. And Gary Davis was a a fascinating person, an international peace activist who renounced the his American citizenship back in 1948 uh, after he interrupted the UN and advocated for world government as a way to end nationalistic wars. And he received support from intellectuals such as uh, Albert Einstein and Albert Camus. Um, and he founded the World Service authority in 1953 uh, to promote world peace around the, around the globe and also created the world passports. Um, he was also an American bomber pilot in World War II, uh, certainly served his country well and a Broadway actor. So that we'll find out more. I know that's just a brief uh, overview. We'll find out more from Arthur about the, the movie and, and about uh, Gary Davis's life, but even more important, why these themes are essential in our world today. So it's, it's a joy to welcome Arthur Kanagis to today's show. Glad you're with us. Very much a pleasure to be with you. Um, and uh, I'm very much an admirer of, uh, of unity. That's sort of been my theme since I was a kid and going to uh, uh, Unitarian and Quaker Church and uh, uh, working for my whole life on how we bring about peace and help develop a more unified world. I noticed in as I was preparing the show and reading about you that you had an interaction with Pete Pilgrim, right, back in the day? 
Yes, I have peace program shoes right here. If we were on video, I'd show them to you. I have them in my hand. Uh, when she finished her walk, 25,000 miles per piece, she finished it at our house in Washington, D.C. Uh, we were, uh, she came and spoke there in Washington to finish her talk. And she stayed at our home, and we bought her a new pair of shoes to commemorate her 25,000-mile walk, because, you know, she kept walking after that. Uh, and uh, we saved the old ones, and I have them uh, in a glass frame right here on my wall, because she was a terrific inspiration to me. Absolutely, yeah. And, and not many people know about her these days, unfortunately. But uh, she not only walked, she, she had beautiful statements everywhere she she landed and spoke. And uh, Well, the, the amazing thing about her was that she walked on complete faith, you know, complete unity with the, with the, with the all. I mean, she had no money, nothing but a little uh, toothbrush and stuff in her little tunic. And she'd walk until somebody wanted to feed her, and she'd, uh, and if she didn't, if she if she got somebody offered housing, she'd stay. Otherwise, she'd sleep under bushes anywhere. Uh, and she was just truly a, a pilgrim, an inspiring pilgrim. And there were so many stories where, like, a, a truck driver meant to rape her, and, and she and he let her sleep in his cab, and he said, told her when she woke up, you know, I, I meant to rape you and kill you, but I just couldn't do it. There was something about your spirit, and. You know, she had a, a spirit that protected her in, in spite of it all. Exactly. As I was saying, she, she wrote a beautiful little pamphlet, actually. A pamphlet was put together from her core teachings, which uh, makes wonderful reading if you ever come across it. And again, very much apropos today in terms of uh, peace activism and a wonderful, wonderful lady. I know she came to our, our church where I was minister for 30 years. Not when I was there, but uh, earlier on, because she she passed away quite a while ago now, but a wonderful exemplar. So Gary Davis is also a wonderful exemplar, Arthur, and yet so few people have heard of him, even though he's done amazing work. Why is that, do you think? Well, because I haven't seen our movie yet. Once they see our movie, The World Is My Country, they will. And, you know, let me just say something about him. I know you mentioned in the introduction that he renounced his citizenship, which is the legal term for it. But that wasn't his term for it. He said, you know, I gave up something precious. He said, I, I did it as an act of love for America because, you know, here he was. He was a Broadway song and dance man. Uh, he uh, his father was a big orchestra leader and uh, played for 11 different presidents. His, his father, in fact, was the head of the Republican Party and all that. And <laughs> but he was uh, uh, he was on his way to a Broadway career, st stood in for Danny Kaye, the, the, the famous, iconic uh, Broadway actor who could do those amazing double talk numbers. And people couldn't believe this kid do it. He did it. He got standing ovations and got uh, thrilled audiences. But then World War II came along and boom, he finds himself in a plane bombing the city of Brandenburg. And his own brother is killed and his heart is broken. And he says, my God, why am I killing these people just because they're on a wrong side of some invisible line. I can't even see the line from the air up here. And, and then he sees the footage of not only the damage he did, but of the Hiroshima bomb. And he says, humanity's in trouble. You know, I have to do something, but what can I do? I'm just an actor. So as you mentioned, he goes to Paris where the UN was meeting. Uh, he officially gives up a, a national citizenship, declares himself the first citizen of the world, 
and offs himself to the United Nations as their first citizen. He wanted them to start having citizens of the world. <laughs> Which is quite remarkable, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, I think some of us dream of this. And, and as children, we think of this idea, you know, that we're all one, there are no boundaries. Or, or we listen to John Lennon's beautiful songs about it, and we think, oh, what a lovely idea it is, but it's a hopeless dream. Whereas Gary actually did something about it, you know, and as a result, of course, he spent years um, being denied in many ways, and yet he persevered, right? He, it, it didn't stop him. Uh, the, the movie's great because it gives you examples of what happened when he left. For instance, he left France at one point because he was given the ability to, to travel and, and move through that country. He tried to go into Germany. They wouldn't let him in. And he, he literally lived on the border between the two countries, right, for several days. Yeah. Well, it wasn't that he was. It wasn't that he was given uh, permission to leave France. They ordered him out. They said, without papers, you can't stay here. They gave him a refuse de séjour. You refuse to stay here. And uh, so, right. no other country would take him. But he wanted to go to Germany to rebuild the damage his, his bombs had caused. So right. he went to the borderline, and well. In between in the story uh, it comes the, the key point that uh, when he leapt up in the middle of the U.N. session and uh, said the nations you represent divide us and lead us to the brink of total war, and he called on them to have elections of the government of by and for the people of the world. And he was uh, you know, applauded by the delegates, although he was hustled out and, uh, and barred from coming back to the U.N., but he had Albert Einstein and, and uh, uh, John Paul Sartre and move and 100,000, uh, actually uh, uh, 20,000 people rallying with him at the velodrome to demand the rights of the humanity. And the very next day, uh, the Soviets, who had been adamantly blocking Eleanor Roosevelt's proposed Universal Declaration of Human Rights, they stepped aside, abstained, and let it get passed unanimously. And he says in the film, we'll never know why, but you know, December 9th, we took over. We, the people, demanded our rights, and, and, and then the Soviets stepped aside. So that Universal Declaration said that everyone has the right to travel. And so that, that Gary said, okay, well, then, uh, even though I've, I, don't, I had to give up my passport when I gave up my citizenship, uh, I'm going to go to Germany. And he shows them the <laughs> paragraph from the Declaration of Human, Human Rights. says, look, you know, almost oh, every country unanimously passed this in the U.N., uh, you know, I should be able to travel. They said, you shall go no further. <laughs> and they, they wouldn't let him in. And they turned back to the French guy and said, well, can I get a visa to re-enter France? No, no way. <laughs> so, so he had to live on the borderline there for a few months. <laughs> the fascinating thing is, you know, many of us maybe would have had some courage, but then at one stage where we realized we're, we're stuck between a rock and a hard place, we give up, you know. But he didn't give up, did he? That was the remarkable thing all through his life. He, he persevered. And I know he had... Yes, he, had he stayed some, a citizen. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He stayed a citizen of no nation, only the world, for 65 years until he died. In fact, on his way to uh, uh, in the hospice, when the hospice ambulance driver picked him up, he gave him a copy of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And he was talking to the nurses about world citizenship right up until his very last breath. He did have some dark nights of the soul, though, right, where he lost his faith. And there's a lovely bit in the movie where he, he discovered it again. I think when he was back in America, he, he discovered his mission, rediscovered his mission. 
Yes, uh, he did go through the dark night of the soul, a time where, you know, he had just, uh, I mean, went into trial and tribulation after tribulation. And uh, this was before he actually, uh, he was trying to get the, the, the UN to create this uh, uh, world, world, world uh, uh, a government for the people of the world and by the people of the world. And uh, he had started a city, you know, getting cities all around the world to sign on to that and other things. But he wasn't getting anywhere. And, and uh, so, uh, uh, but then, and, and again, after being locked up on the borderline between the two and not able to go either way and getting pneumonia, you know, he gave up and uh, went to work in a machine shop in New Jersey and uh, said, you know, I'm going to give up on, I can't do this. And it, may, it turned out the, uh, <laughs> the machine shop, person heading the machine shop was a guru trained by Nataraja Guru. And and he taught him all about the Brahma Vida, Vidya and uh, uh, and spiritual teachings from India. And uh, Gary ended up traveling to India and meeting with Prime Minister Nehru, and uh, uh, who told him the well the amazing adventures. But the the key to it is that this spiritual adventure that he went on, this this deep meditative state, that's what gave him the courage to finally take up Eleanor Roosevelt's suggestion. See, when when Gary had interrupted the UN. Uh, and called on the U.N. to do this, Eleanor Roosevelt put out a My Day column where she said that the U.N. wasn't set up to be a government. It's a place where nations can you know, let off steam and, and debate instead of throwing missiles. They can throw words back and forth. And she said of Gary, you know, and his supporters, she said, how much better would it be if Mr. Davis was set up then and there a worldwide international government? And you know, Gary couldn't believe it. The U.N. saying he should do what, what, what they can't do. But he finally got the courage to actually to do that. He said, well, he went to see a top constitutional lawyer. And he said, well, how, do, how does someone start a government? And he said, well, they're, they're started by declaration. You know, there are, there are for example, uh, well, we did the Declaration of Independence. There are, uh, you know, nations that have broken away from other nations and declare their independence. They don't get a – it's not an application – you, you don't apply. It's not the application for independence. You declare it. So he declared a government of, by, and for the people of the world. He said, well, who am I to do it? But, you know, the, the universal the, uh, declaration of independence says it is the right of the people to institute new government. And we're people. So let's just go ahead and do it. So he actually started this microcosmic government, which does, which for 70 years has been issuing world passports, visas, IDs. Help so many refugee camps. Uh, so many refugees get out of refugee camps, and help the, you know, p- people who are stateless. And, uh, for instance, coming to apply for, if people are coming to apply for, uh, for, uh, uh, even as for, to, even to uh, appeal for am for an amnesty or anything, they can't even get into the courthouse unless they uh, have a document. So the world ID becomes a document for them to be able to. Uh, you know, establish their identity, open open bank accounts, and so on. So uh, he actually has not only talked about <laughs> doing it, he's actually created the microcosm of it and uh, some exciting ideas for how we the people could create bottom-up governance. What amazed me was, I think I, the statistic in the, in the film was that over 180 countries have, have used have allowed the passport right as to cross borders well the, they they've stamped it at one time or another with visas but not consistently you know also many of the same right. nations have also denied it i mean i remember when i went to get he went five times to india and one of the trips 
uh, I was with him, and we actually have a film of him going to India and speaking in India. But uh, one of the trips, he was turned back, uh, and uh, and yet another person going to that same conference got in with the World Task Force. So you also yeah. see a scene in the movie where he's arguing with the uh, uh, with the with the delegates, and not the delegates, but the uh, border guards about <laughs> why they should let him in. But you know, it's really up to the. It's a very arbitrary. It's up to the individual border guard. And uh, it really varies a lot. But right now, it's gotten much, much more difficult to use as a travel document. Well, of course, in this COVID era, almost anybody <laughs> has trouble traveling. But especially, uh, you know, that's, that isn't, isn't very likely to, to get you in as a travel document. But it is a symbol of our connection to humanity as a whole. And when people come to our website, theworldismycountry.com, they find out not only about the movie, but they can click on the Passport tab and learn about how they can get a world passport. So how do we counter the um, consciousness that's abroad in our world and in the States right now that says, oh, this sounds nice, but you know, the, what a betrayal of your own culture and country that you grew up in. You should be proud to be an American, a, a, Brit, a, a British person, a, a Frenchman, an, an Afghan, whatever it might be. You know, and, and you're, you're trying to deny this. Um, uh, this is a betrayal well, for all that the other country has given to you. So how, how do you counter that viewpoint? Well, because to, what Gary said is, uh, you know, like I said, it's an act of love of America. He, he, he's loved and is proud of being an American, and he thinks we can all stay proud of, of, you know, of, of, of our nationality. But that doesn't mean we can't adopt a higher loyalty, too. In the United States, we were, you know, 13 separate colonies, 13 separate, 13 separate states they had you know, border incursions, they all had separate currencies, uh, you know, struggles, they all were independent. And they had the foresight uh, to to get together uh, in, 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 and declare a government of by and for the people. And that didn't mean they were any less Virginians. That didn't mean they were any less proud of being a Texan. That didn't mean they were, uh, you know, they, they did, that they lost having their separate uh, identities. They added the top layer, and Gary says, hey, it's time that we add the, the, the even higher level, that is the global level. We're all citizens of our city, of our country, of our nation, and of the world. Yeah, and I like that idea that, that it's, in, it's inclusive, right? doesn't mean that you can't be proud of, in my case, being Welsh, but I'm also an American, and I'm also a citizen of the world, so I can be all these Absolutely. things in varying degrees, right? Um, absolutely, and, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, um, tell us a bit about the movie. And so, you, you, from what I understand, you've been a friend of uh, Gary's for a quarter while then. Yep, over a quarter of a century, I was a friend of his until uh, he passed away in 2013. And, you know, some of the last scenes in the film were filmed uh, right up uh, two weeks before he died. You know, he had. Uh, uh, Snowden's uh, been in the news lately, and, and the, the new movie came out about Snowden. Well, Gary issued him a world passport way back there in, in uh, uh, shortly before he died in 2013, and when he was trapped in the embassy and so on. So, uh, You're talking yep, about Edward Snowden, long right? Yeah. yeah, Edward I think Snowden, he gave right. Julian, Julian Assange one as well, didn't he? Uh, I, I may, he may have, I'll have to check, double check that. Yes. Right. Um, so, uh, but yeah, he has a remarkable adventure and, and, and he really appealed to me because of my own, uh, you know, spiritual uh, path that 
intersected with that. And I really felt it's a crucial, crucial message for the very survival of the world. We know the movie, um, a lot of the movie is taken up with, uh, with Gary speaking to uh, select audiences uh, around the country. And he's obviously a very charismatic uh, raconteur and storyteller and, and uh, just a lovely guy because you, you know, you, you, you want to find out more about his life. So he did this a lot, did he, to just get the message out, right? Yeah, he spent his whole life uh, talking about it, but it wasn't until we started the movie that we kind of organized it into, uh, uh, yeah, into uh, you know, a, a regular series of uh, uh, of one man shows where he where we could film those and record them for the movie, uh, and it was it meant so much to him that we were finally getting a story out to the world. It was a, a lifelong dream. He got to see the early rough cuts of the film as we were developing it. And uh, and then I was stunned after we filmed him at the amazing historical footage we found documenting virtually every step of his journey, which uh, uh, which we didn't even know when we first filmed him telling the story that we would get get everything documented. But we basically did. That's cool. So were these renter crowds or were they actually groups of people who were interested to find out about Gary? You mean the uh, when he spoke to people? Well, we yeah. put out a notice. We let people know about it. In one case, we had a, an organization called uh, Diversity Rocks, uh, and they brought the kids from Diversity Rocks. But no, nobody was paid to be uh, an audience member. They were all people who uh, were there to, to watch them and be part of our, our filming that. Right. Yeah. Good. Good. Um, so, and of course, we didn't have us. anything like the big crowds he had when he was back in 1940. 1940, uh, uh, well, in, in 1948 and through 1951, that was the heyday of when he had throngs of, you know, thousands and thousands of people coming to his talks and following him and so on. Uh, but history has a way of losing those things until we, until we find a way to remember them in film. So that's why I feel such a big responsibility to get this film out to the world. And so that it doesn't become a lost piece of history, but, uh, becomes part of our consciousness as we move forward. I think I listened to, uh, to the fact that there were 750,000 people at that time who were intent upon becoming world citizens, right? And so there's quite a movement. Yes, I mean, here we, people. here it was before the internet, before, you know, we had uh, uh, the easy methods of communication and he, he got mail pouring in from all over the world. People in Africa and Asia would have to write a letter by hand and trek for miles to to find a place to mail it. In some cases, some cases nearby, or some cases they in a distant town. And they and from all over, when people heard about uh, the news on the radio or on TV or in newspapers about his his adventures, uh, people signed up, said, me too, I want to be a world citizen. It was at the end of World War II, and the world was sick and tired of war, and, and they were sick and tired of seeing what happened in Nazi Germany, where, you know, perfectly, Germans are perfectly good people, like you and I, got got taken in by a, uh, a dictator and ended up doing these extermination camps and these most horrible things, and, you know, we realized that all of us can be, have that shadow side appealed to and can, can, can descend into the depth of uh, horror unless we have a, a, a regime of law and, 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 and respect for law and order 
and, and human rights that protects our human rights and guarantees our freedoms and that keeps us uh, from uh, descending into such chaos. So the world was ready for his message at that point, but then uh, somehow the Cold War got going and it all got forgotten about. So we hope to remind people because today it's more crucial than ever as the world teeters on the brink of destruction due to ecological catastrophe or nuclear catastrophe. We we desperately need to come together in unity and to find that spiritual root that connects us, it connects us in our diversity, that we celebrate our diversity and yet recognize our connectedness. Some people say that these, again, are nice ideals, but they're impractical because it takes uh, sophisticated government systems to run sophisticated countries. How on earth are you going to have um, bottom-up uh, government, you know, uh, and God knows we, we want alternatives to some of the governments that we see around uh, the world and even even in our own country sometimes we're frustrated. Um, so is it just naive or, or is there a way, do you think, to empower people to to govern themselves in some way? Well, you see, we're really li li living in a world of incredible turmoil. Like it used to be thought that, for instance, only only countries could put out currencies. It's either French currency or U.S. or whatever. And then we saw the rise of cryptocurrency. And first that was, you know, pushed down and, uh, you know, called outrageous. And now the big, big ones are jumping aboard, you know, getting ready to accept cryptocurrencies. And uh, we see so many places in our society, television was always top down, just feeding us stuff. And now all the media become interactive and people are involved in it. We're moving toward a, from a top down to a bottom up world where everybody's involved. And yet we're still stuck in this, uh, uh, in, in, this in this old system, creating a horse and buggy era. As Gary points out, you know, uh, uh, in 1776, it was a great advance to say government of, by, and for the people. But how are, how are we going to do it? No, not even a telephone. Well, you had to, you know, elect people in a little, in a, in a local town hall, send them by a horse and buggy to a distant city to represent you. Well, today we can all meet in the global room, Gary says. We don't need to uh, elect representatives to become magnets of special interest money. Uh, we can do a new, more interactive way where all the people are involved in it. And you know, what he was talking about, he talked about this synergistic system, and it's almost like these sort of Zoom meetings we're having all over, where where people meet in these kind of small groups, but his small groups would be small groups that especially cross the borders that divide us. In other words, uh, if you wanted your voice to have more impact, you'd have, you know, Palestinians and Israelis in the same Zoom, or you'd have, you know, red states, blue, green, blue states, or whatever. You'd have people on opposite sides of all these divides interacting, not just yelling who's right and who's wrong, but with a with a protocol of, uh, of steps you go through to really reach your humanity and your unity. I mean, there's been many of these from, uh, you know, things like uh, Marshall, well, revolutionary conversations and so on, but ways um, for people to really interact and talk and come together yeah. as a planet. We're at, we're at the break. Um, we need to uh, listen to these messages from Unity. We'll talk more uh, with Arthur Kanagis. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. 
You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. So welcome back to today's show. I'm with Arthur Kanagis, and he's a film director. And one of his movies is the topic of our talk today. It's called um, The World is My Country. It's about the life of Gary Davis, uh, the peace activist, the the world citizen number one, and all the work that he did. Um, The movie's been on PBS, and it's available uh, from the website. We'll talk more about that a little later. But I want to I want to ask Arthur a a tough question now. <laughs> uh, see how he responds to this. Okay, and and uh, I I'm of course a, a part of Unity. We're we're a liberal uh, denomination or movement. Uh, we're, we're very we would like to think of ourselves as open minded, etc. And uh, at the end of the movie, there's a number of figures that are familiar to many of us in Unity because they're they're liberal um, people. I saw that Michael Beckwith showed up there, one of the leading mm-hmm. lights in the Center for Spiritual Living. Uh, some of the more liberal um, p- film stars or whatever, um, uh, people like futurists uh, like Barbara Marks Hubbard, um, Gene Houston, uh, other right. folks like that. All wonderful people, all well respected in in uh, New Thought and and uh, Unity, but uh, some of our uh, colleagues and friends might say, "Well, that's great, but that's all uh, all those liberal guys, you know, those bleeding heart liberals. W- w- what about the conservatives? Uh, uh, we got support on from that side of the uh, the spectrum of, of understanding. So, h- how would you respond to that? Because it's tough, isn't it? These themes of world government tend to be the enclave of, of the more liberal type. Well, uh, that often has been the case, and yet there are some leading conservatives who you know believe in in, in that we need to to move toward more law and order, and believe that law is uh, is better than the chaos of uh, of killing and, and and shooting each other and so on. And it really is a is a uh, it really is a basic idea that instead of you know wars, which is uh, really uh, just sort of uh, anarchistic, that to have an orderly society where countries and, and people take their disputes to court instead is, is really a, a, a very, in a way, a very conservative thought because it's conserving the, the basic original premise of what's brought America together. It's also what America founders did in following in their footsteps. So uh, we have had people across the political spectrum. It's true. More of them have been kind of on the uh, more uh, unity side people, as you mentioned, like Gene uh, Houston and, and and so on. But we've also uh, uh, had people like I have a uh, uh, I have a, one of the people who loves our film, a local just a local friend of mine. He's very very uh, very conservative, but he he respects and likes what Gary did because Gary was a, a bomber pilot. He was he was acting out of his. Uh, uh, reaction to, to to war that he experienced firsthand, and and Gary's a very uh, likable fellow, as you mentioned, and he's very charismatic. And I think I find in the responses, people across the political spectrum have uh, 
uh, have resonated with the film. We've gotten terrific responses from the audience feedback. People who fill out the survey at the end. If you do go to the worldismycountry.com slash survey, uh, no, it's, excuse me, uh, slash comments, you'll see the comments that have been extracted from all those surveys. Surveys where you take the survey, but comments is where we've had the reactions. And uh, we've really been uh, very pleased with the outpouring of uh, of people who feel aligned with it, even even people who uh, have taken a more conservative bent. Yeah, I'm good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. And um, you know, it it is a, an idea that I that I like personally. In the movie, it was mentioned that you know c- countries don't usually fight each other, or very rarely, right? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm talking about one country, a civil war. It's a very rare occurrence because the, we do adhere to law, and um, so the idea of having a, a you know a world a system of law. I mean, we we have the International Court of Justice, but really that that's not quite the same thing, is is it? It's uh, it, it's it's got some powers, but not not enough to to bring into being a world government based on law. But but the idea that right. if it can work for a country and work for the the world sounds plausible. Um, and it's the next step, you know. We've moved away from the village and the tribe uh, to the to our local fiefdoms. To now, we got nation states. So the next step seems to be the world, right? It, it seems to be a natural right. progression of of, uh, of understanding. As and as the more more problems we have uh, with overpopulation, the things you mentioned earlier, climate change, uh, environmental disasters of one kind or another. Uh, not to mention war itself. Um, yeah, it seems like you know the, 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 we're going to need a, a, a larger purview, a world view, rather than just a, a, a national national view of what's going on. Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, inside the U.S., it'd be unthought, thought, unthought of, you know, unheard of for uh, in general. For you know, if states have a dispute, they don't take it to war; they take it to court. They get it resolved. Now, we did have a civil war where that broke down that does happen when you have, but that's where you have two sovereignties two governments if everyone accepts one government basically then you don't fight wars you have a legal system to handle things and you have another way of solving your problems so humanity has invented a system that has actually brought peace to huge parts of the planet you know in the united states sure we have crimes uh but we don't have uh you know when when for example when when uh, Tim McVeigh blew up the federal building, Oklahoma didn't, you know, uh, retaliate against Michigan for harboring the Michigan militia and send off bombs and missiles, and that would have been totally unheard of. But that's what happened in the world, you know, when when uh, we had uh, uh, 9/11 for some people, the total a whole other country for 20 years gets battered with bombs because we're retaliating for that. I mean, the whole tit for tat retaliation of war just is insane and out of proportion. And handling things like this with that criminal justice uh, problem is a such so much saner way to do it. Uh, and so, uh, yes, there are challenges in the world, but uh, uh, we do we, we actually have more power by using law than we do by using war. Because as we just saw in Afghanistan, uh, 20 years of war, you know, the biggest superpower military in the world couldn't beat Afghan tribesmen. Russia couldn't do it before that, and you know, and in Vietnam, we couldn't beat Vietnamese. I mean, with totally outgunning them in military power, we couldn't uh, 
beat the Vietnamese and neither could the French before that, neither could the Chinese before that. So when mighty empires can't beat, you know, simple peasants in that case or whatever, uh, you have to question whether military power is an oxymoron, whether there's really such a thing as military power. Uh, Military is powerless. And what is powerful? What's powerful is, 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 is people interconnecting with each other, is a system of law, is, is a system of, of, of deliberative, interactive governance. I mean, these are the things that have power and, and then helping uplift each other up, education and all those things. That's where the power is. So we've had this misguided misconception that somehow militaries protect us and they don't. They make the world more and more dangerous. We put 20 trillion into a war on terror and we haven't, we've created more enemies and more terror. <laughs> you know, we haven't solved the problem. And uh, so sometimes we have to get past the, you know, the insanity of trying the same old thing over and over again when it doesn't work and come to the common sense and, and key spiritual truth that we're all interconnected. We're all one. And the only way we're going to survive and be secure is to recognize that and join together in a system it helps uh, unify us in our diversity. It doesn't make us all the same, but it, it helps us handle the diversity. I mean, <laughs> you know, Gary no more points out in the film, the very same groups that around the world are killing each other inside the U.S., they take their disputes to court. I mean, it is possible to do that. You don't have to blow, blow each other up. Right. And one, that's another thing I liked about Gary's um, presentation throughout his life was that he, 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 you know, he was he was unruffled. You know, he always always had a a calm response, even in difficult situations, and um, had a good sense of humor. I think which helped him. But uh, you know, he yeah, was definitely always, the humor helped a lot. <laughs> he was always reasonable, right? And um, and and that that spoke highly, I think, because you know, you see a lot of people who are uh, you know charismatic, but they become a sort of a little bit more dem- demagogue. Call you know, and um, carried away, and, and actually, there was a moment, wasn't there, in the in the movie where he's having all these people surrounding him, and he began to think, "My God, I'm going to end up in the same thing that I despised in other leaders." You know, this this uh, worship of the leader, and there was a lovely response in the in the movie where somebody asked him about what was going to, what was happening next for for his movement or whatever, and and he just was. Uh, brilliantly uh, responded by saying well first of all it's not re- it's not a movement you know it's it's a community um of people with uh, similar ideas and it's not my movement it's our movement you know i'm not the leader of this uh, we're all in this together i'm just one of many and i thought wow you know how many people can say that when when you've got a power behind you you know you, you normally want to attach to it but he, he was very wise in that regard wasn't he that, that's a higher level thinking Indeed, he was. In fact, that was the key thing that attracted Martin Sheen to want to join the project and introduce Gary in the film and promote it on uh, PBS and in Extra TV and on MSNBC and so on. And that is because uh, Gary did have that moment when he had 20,000 people rallying with him at the UN and when people were chanting, Gary Davis, Gary Davis, and when there was this huge uh, outpouring of support around the world where he started to feel that. uh, what he said, power can be like an addiction, like a drug, you know, and he suddenly snapped out of, he said, I'm getting, I'm getting caught up in this, in this addiction, you know, I'm starting to like this, but wait a minute, that's, that's the whole thing I'm trying to rebel against. We, we don't want lead, right. leadership by one person. We want it to be all of us. 
and he left that meeting, mighty meeting with 20,000 people rallying for him. And he walked out, walked down the street and uh, tore, ended up tearing in half the, the flyer uh, with his picture on it and, and feeling down rather than up after this huge thing, even though, of course, for the world media, it was a big event. There were media all over the world talking about this event and it had a big impact. But uh, Gary was determined not to uh, not to do that. And Martin Sheen loved that, that when he had a chance to power, he, get, he he refused it. And he stayed true to his principles that it's we the people who have to govern the world, not one leader, whether it's somebody else or him. Right. Excellent. So if any of us want to become world citizens, get a world passport, how do we do that, Arthur? Well, you go to, uh, we'll start with going to the world is my, the world is my country.com, which is the website for the movie. And you'll see right at the top of Passport tab, when you click on it, it takes you into, tells you a little more about the passport in the back and takes you to a different site, the World Service Authority. It's the World Citizen Government that Gary set up. And there you uh, have a passport application and you can fill it out. And and uh, and, and and it's a reasonably priced issuance fees. It's, uh, it's well worth getting a world passport. And you can also, while you're there, you know, get to see the film. Uh, there, Click on the tab where to watch, and you can find out where to watch it. And uh, you can join in, in in getting to see this film and trying to bring this message to the world. Um, and uh, if you go to uh, uh, well, there's several. There's, if people really want to see the film, if if you go to that site, there's even a place where you can put if you're low income, if you don't have to don't have the funds to pay for it, you can still watch it. Uh, so go ahead and to that the site and, and enjoy watching that important film. And I, I can, uh, you know, heartily recommend it because it is a delightful film. And uh, number one, because it's it's the story of somebody's fascinating life and you and you get to actually interact almost with with Gary in, in these little uh, small settings where he talks about his life story. But uh, wonderful um, newsreels and whatnot from the, the 40s and 50s as well. Um, so all in all, uh, in, you know, well-told story. As you said, Martin Sheen introduces it um, and uh, bookends it, and, and that's nice too. Uh, so it gives it a certain um, stamp of, of approval by, uh, by if in one in one sense, and uh, just just well worth see, listening to. And also to find out about the world. Uh, passport, the, the becoming a world citizen, what, what that might mean and how it can become a practical thing and not just an idealistic thing. So it did come out right. on PBS, so you can still get it on the PBS stations, is that right? Yes, PBS stations that have broadcast it uh, have a right to rerun it for for uh, three years and it was on you know over 100 public broadcasting stations coast to coast, so uh, you can look up on our website, they do have a tab about the the PBS broadcast, find your local station, and you can find out from them. Some of them have it online even when it's finished broadcasting, or just go ahead and watch it on our site because uh, uh, in many cases the broadcast comes and goes. So, <laughs> I mean, you can you still find it, but it's harder to dig into the, the station's right. website to find it, so just come to ours. <laughs> right. Okay. Very good. So uh, I have another question that may lead into um, a little discussion about your own spiritual and, and chosen path. Um, and that is that uh, for thousands of years, uh, some of the higher virtues 
uh, like courage and strength and dedication and service and selflessness have been attached to um, what the warrior, right, to, to the soldiers, and um, and then instilled to this day in the cadre of soldiers that fight not just for our country but many countries. Uh, and so um, it's it's hard to separate those those higher qualities of selfless service to another, to the to one's country, to one's uh, squad, or whatever. Uh, and uh, you know the courage that you need and the dedication, etc. So these are all wonderful qualities. How do you shift them away from you know the war machine to to other ways of being uh, selfless? Uh, you know, it, it because there's a certain cachet, isn't there, in our society of being a warrior, right? It's um, mm -hmm. it goes back deep into our history and uh, to fight for one's country and family and whatnot. So, how do you shift that? Any ideas, Arthur? Well, you put your finger on, I think, a key realization that we all need to realize, and that is that virtually everybody in the world is trying to do good. You know, the, 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 the suicide bomber who straps bombs on himself and runs into a crowd of people and blows himself up, he is so dedicated to trying to help his people and to save his, his country from the outside invaders or from the devil or whatever it is that he's willing to sacrifice his own life for it. You know, and the soldier, as you said, is, is, is brave to put his own, the needs of his, his group above the individual. And both sides of every war, the same thing. They're all killing the bad guys. They're the good guys killing the bad guys. So everybody all around the world are the good guys killing the bad guys. And uh, But it sort of turns out that killing bad guys solves problems in the movies and TV shows and stories. But in real life, it doesn't, as we see in Afghanistan, you know, 20 years of trying to kill the bad guys with the most powerful military in the world. You know, it, it doesn't really shift things. And so I think what really does shift it is story, the power of story. When you think about all these different people and why they're all trying to do good but fighting each other, it's all because they have a different story. One has a story that, uh, you know, uh, that these, uh, you know, the suicide bomber has a story that this is these, these infidels that are against God, that are invading our country, that are, are uh, you know, whatever, and the... Uh, and we have the story, this is this evil suicide bomber blowing us up. But, you know, when we actually get to the heart of it and, and, and get it, get on the same story page, <laughs> we start changing things. And that's why I think it's so important, as, as you mentioned, our organization is Future Wave, and our mission is to shift the culture of violence to a culture of peace. And that is, that's the storytellers, you know, the storytellers in our society create the culture uh, you know, Joseph Campbell talked about this. In every society, the behavior of that society is more determined by the stories and myths than by actual reality. And we find that that story and myth clouds actual reality. Psychiatrists and psychologists have studied people and found that uh, even something that's blatantly untrue for most people, uh, they'll go along with it and actually believe it. Their brain will not show that they're lying because they'll actually uh, go along with the group uh, story mentality on it, even when it, when it's blatantly false, and um, we see that so much in our world today. And I think what we need to do is to somehow, uh, as the storytellers, lift the story. Uh, so many of the stories we've told in movies and TV shows are, you know, uh, the soldier always being someone who smashes, kills, blows up. We need the soldier who transforms, changes. You know, 
Gary was a was a soldier of peace in a different way. He never used a weapon, but he he used words. He used documents. He used the uh, he used the uh, uh, what he he called the uh, uh, you know the props of uh, when he come when he came he'd come to a borderline. Uh, all the barbed wire and people in uniforms and guns and most people would see that and be intimidated. He saw that. He said, "Well, this is a set. You know, I'm an actor and I, I can recognize a set. This is set up here to intimidate me and to draw me into their story." So I'm not going to play into their story. I'm going to draw them into mine. And he would tell a different story and draw them into his story. And, you know, uh, when we realized that uh, what Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage and uh, we can shift our story, it gives us incredible power. I mean, I think one reason why Gary wasn't afraid of being killed in all his journey is, well, both because of his remorse over his brother, but also uh, because he was an actor, and you know, in a movie, <laughs> he can die over and over, and you still keep going. So when you're seeing the world as a stage, you're not intimidated by the threat of death. You can, <laughs> you can have some great power. And uh, so uh, I think it all comes down to, to telling stories, and that's why I chose to be a, a storyteller. Tell a new story. I love it. I love it. You know, there's a lovely story about um, a, a rogue samurai warrior who comes across a a Zen monk, and he, he orders the Zen monk to move off his meditation cushion. The Zen monk refuses, and the, uh, the samurai warrior says to him, don't you know I'm a man who can run you through with a sword without fear or hesitation? And uh, the monk just looks quietly at him, and he says, don't you know that I'm someone that can be run through with a sword without fear or hesitation? And uh, the, the, the samurai was so impressed with uh, his uh, his calmness and his peace in difficult circumstances that, that he put his sword away and bowed to him and left. And I thought that's right. the paradigm we want to shift to, right? Where we understand there's a higher way. It's not the way of the sword anymore. There's a there's a courage that comes of not having a sword. You know, uh, having the courage Absolutely. to to bear the sword uh, of anger without bending or breaking. And that's that's a, that's the sort of consciousness of Jesus and the Buddha and and many of the other great leaders of uh, Martin Luther King, Jr., etc. And um, so, you know, talking about that, you, you mentioned peace yeah, and your own spiritual life. So yeah. what, what inspires you right now? Well, just to continue with what you were saying, you know, many people think that Jesus's prescription to love your enemies was, uh, you know, a sign of meekness. But really, that's the most powerful force in the world. Because think about it. You know, you can, you if, if you can kill your enemy, and then they'll all their brothers and sisters will hate you, and then they'll kill you, and you can kill them. I mean, we've seen it. We just saw it in in, in twenty years of of twenty years of fighting a war in Afghanistan that uh, killing bad guys just didn't do anything. But what does love do? You know, they. There was a movie uh, uh, about uh, the congressman who helped uh, put through the funding originally for the war, Charlie Wilson's war, and uh, he he was upset about what the you know what, what was being done to women and other things anyway. He helped to get the funding through for the Afghan war, but then he realized this wasn't going anywhere. This is all, <laughs> and and he decided that we should put some money into education, and he got asked Congress for money for educating women and girls and people in Afghanistan, and they said, no way, we can't afford it. So we spent $20 trillion instead, you know, on this uh, war on terror, not just in Afghanistan, but Iraq and other places. And, you know, if we had put a tiny fraction of that into educating uh, people, into bringing up, lifting their society, into 
uh, making society better, there would be no tariffs. There would be no oppression of women. There would be no, you know, all, all the things we're fighting against, we empower them by fighting them. But when you love your enemy, you vanquish your enemy. Your enemy disappears. Jews had the right idea. That's the only power that can actually totally eliminate the enemy because now you don't have an enemy anymore. You have somebody who's a friend. I mean, look at Germany and Japan. After uh, you know, after World War One, we punished Germany, and that just caused Hitler to rise in World War Two. But after World War Two, we used law to uh, to uh, charge and execute the the key people in the Nuremberg trials who were guilty for the crimes. But for the rest of society, we built them up with uh, the Marshall Plan and so on. And Germany and Japan became friends, and we got sent sending us over, uh, making uh, cell phones, only phones and so on, instead of sending over missiles and bombs. So, you know, right. it's so much more powerful to do what Jesus said, to love your love your enemy. And that's to get to my personal journey yet, but it's a comment on what you said, that that's sort of a very fundamental. But that's also close to my personal story. Let me uh, tell my, folks about next week's show, and then we'll have the final word of wisdom from Arthur. And next week, Kai Whiting joins me, and she's the co-author of Being Better. It's uh, Stoicism for a World Worth Living. And uh, that, that's, uh, that sounds very apropos and, and ties in nicely with this week. And uh, she's a university researcher and lecturer in environmental sustainability and stoic philosophy. So join me then. But right now, one final word of wisdom or encouragement, Arthur. What would you like to share with us? Well, do come to the world, theworldismycountry.com and watch the movie, be inspired, and then look inside and feel, you know, am I a citizen of the world? If so, uh, do I want the joy of signing up and being part of a, a of being a, a citizen of the world and putting that first loyalty uh, on top, even though we still love our countries and our cities and the, our kitty cats and dogs and all of it, you know, <laughs> but we can add that top layer. Uh, so do uh, do think about doing that and uh, do think about uh, telling some new stories that help us empower life on the planet and the spirituality within. And out of that spirituality grow the stories that uh, we can touch the world with. Yeah, I love that idea that uh, creating a new paradigm means telling telling a new story about ourselves and about our world and what's possible. By the way, folks, my new book's coming out uh, in November 1st. It's called uh, Unity and World Religions. It's a study of uh, all kinds of things. It should be fascinating. So join, join, uh, get a copy when it comes out. Thank you, Arthur, so much for today's show. Thank you. I enjoyed talking to you so much. Well, thanks for listening, Anytime. folks. Take care now. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.